Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show for making this show economically viable. They are Timmins Gold Corp., Paramount Gold and Silver, Sand Gold Corp., and Uranium Energy Corp. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again on this show Frank Holmes. Frank uh, is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Funds, which specializes in natural resources and emerging markets, uh, emerging market investing. As chief, as Chief Investment Officer at U.S. Global, Frank oversees an investment team whose mutual funds have won more than two dozen Lipper Fund awards and certificates since 2000. Mr. Holmes was selected as the 2006 Mining Fund Manager of the Year by Mining Journal. That's a leading publication for the global and natural resource industry. He is also the co-author of the Gold Watcher that's demystifying gold investing. He is engaged in a number of international philanthropic and uh, endeavors and is a member uh, of the President's Circle and on the Investment Committee of International Crisis Group, uh, which works to resolve conflicts around the world. He is also an advisor to the William J. Clinton Foundation on Sustainable Development in Countries with Resource-Based Economies. Welcome, Frank. It's really good to have you back to turning hard times into good times. Well, thank you. You know, uh, speaking of your connection to the Clinton Foundation, I have to tell you that I was just speaking with Alexis Ringwald, who is involved with President Clinton's global initiative. She is involved in a Silicon Valley startup uh, company named LearnUp, which seeks to train people who need jobs and then help them gain employment with the clients of Learn up uh, companies like Stables, Gap, Safeway, KPMG. Now, our son Scott is one of the employees in this startup, and that is how I learned to know uh, Alexis, who just told us about her latest project, uh, LearnUp. She had previously been a co-founder of Balance Energy and a Fulbright scholar who was involved with finding ways to help India meet its energy needs. 
uh, using renewable energy. And I mention all this in part, Frank, because Alexis brings with her a high level of energy and optimism that I know you also bring with you, knowing you as I have over the number of years. And because this show seems to delve perhaps too much on the hard times that we've experienced and not enough on the optimism uh, required to get us up in the morning and work hard to turn things around and turn things into good times, uh, turning hard times into good times, I should say. Uh, it is invigorating to have the likes of you and Alexis with us uh, to lift our spirits a bit. So I, I'm hoping, uh, Frank, that you can, can do that. Uh, I want to ask you, how are you seeing the world these days in this post-Lehman Brothers era? Uh, to what extent, if any, can the developing countries like China and India, because I know you're very much involved in investing in those uh, start, those uh, emerging countries, how ca- how able are they going to be to continue to grow and help maybe help the West out of its out of the doldrums? Well, that's that's a that's a big question, uh, Jay. I, I think what's important is is to see and understand the relationship between let's create a triangle, a simple triangle of Europe. America and China, mm-hmm. and in that triangle, uh, the Chinese actually sell more products to Europe than they do America. Mm-hmm. So a slowdown in Europe has bigger negative ramifications for the Chinese consumption and GDP per capita than is trade with America. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, the recent GDP numbers were disappointing uh, out of China, uh, and that the big factor for that is, is watching what's taking place in Europe. Mm-hmm. And what's taking place in Europe is this continuous uh, unelected officials mm-hmm. that are are basically uh, intellectual uh, socialistic um, regulators mm-hmm. that uh, are trying to dictate um, what was normally would be which was talking about starting off the conversation is what makes America so special and great is its capacity to innovate, mm-hmm. and uh, you're now seeing that. Uh, the EU is going to come in and do small loans. There's no American capital. There's no KKRs of the world up there doing deals at, in the mid-cap. So the government's got to come in and try to dictate that in mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. It's extremely dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is that a lot of Europe and all their government workers are all unionized. Mm-hmm. And a union is, is sometimes, I'm a big believer that one time in our cycle of life here, they were important in trying to create a balance but you'll see that uh, a lot of these unions, there's no transparency of what the union bosses make. Um, there's no transparency and accountability. And they strike a, 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 on a regular basis. And I think that this is a real key factor of how they're going to resolve Europe. Now, what the Chinese have to do is continue their growth model, and they have to take it on the chin, uh, this slowdown. But they're, they're not stopping with that. They're looking for other opportunities around the world. And I think that that's, that's what's important regarding the Chinese mm-hmm. um, uh, strategy. Uh, they understand the significance of, of employment, and uh, it's more important to have p- people employed than having uh, with, that, um, with the minimum wages. It's, it's about employment, and then once you get full employment uh, on a relative basis, then you start to raise the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, so in some ways, would you say that the Chinese are, are acting more like capitalists than the, uh, than the Europeans? Sure. I mean, I go back to Toronto where I grew up, Jay, and, and 30% of my high school was, was Chinese. Mm-hmm. So we won, we won the national ping pong competition, but <laughs> we had the smallest basketball team. <laughs> and, uh, and we also won all the national in sciences and maths. And it's really quite evident on, on the significance of education, uh-huh. science, and maths. Of what's what's taking place? Well, these bright bright kids have gone back, 
mm-hmm. and they want something better in China. Mm-hmm. And that's we've we've trained many people who've gotten their CFA and come through our shop at U.S. Global Investors, and have gone back. Well, they're going back with this American standard of care, mm-hmm. and that's what we don't. A lot of people don't realize the same thing when you're in Latin America. One of our greatest success stories in investing in oil was Pacific Rubiolus. Mm-hmm. Uh, see this thing with five million dollars, and uh, today it's it's uh, five billion. Mm-hmm. And it's paying out three hundred million dollars in dividends. Nice. It's mind-boggling. I mean, you put that in that context in a short period. Well, who who's the CEO? Stanford grad. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All of his top lieutenants have PhDs from American schools. Yeah. And they were from Venezuela. Chavez confiscated everything they had, but he didn't. He could not confiscate their intellectual capital, <laughs> which they learned in America. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you all of a sudden uh, put them on another stallion, and you take them out of Venezuela, and put them on Colombia, and you take U.S. And, and Canadian capital, and voila, you have a spectacular, spectacular growth. And they know what's expected on the sort of best practices of America. So that's something that America should take great pride. We've exported this around the world, like the great um, uh, meta, what was the great um, uh, Johnny Appleseed mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Appalachians. Yeah. But we've done this figuratively around the world, and these are the positive parts that I see. Right. Uh, well, but certainly, you know, when you talk about government uh, in Europe in, in alliance with the uh, with the unions, uh, we certainly have that same danger here. We think, and in terms of not allowing economics to make decision as much as as markets. So, if you have a free market situation, uh, I think that's been proven over a long period of time that free markets work better than than political solution or political. Um, uh, let's say intervent- interventions into the markets. I- I'm sure you'd agree with that, Frank. Oh, I totally agree. I think that one of the best metaphors, Jay, is this um, thinking of sports because mm-hmm. that's such an integral part of America. And when you travel to these other countries, you do not see uh, basketball courts or football fields for for uh, middle school. There's none mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. But this is so special mm-hmm. in America. So when you think of that, what, what, what do we want? We want referees. They can they can call a game. Here's the rules and boundaries, mm-hmm. and they can call a fair and reasonable game. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in a lot of these other countries? The referees you end up having more referees in the field than you do have players, and they're trying to dictate the outcomes. And free markets is all about there's going to be a winner and a loser, and the team that tries the hardest and innovates the most they have the highest probability of winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what we basically have, have, have set a standard of care that I think is the best in the world. Well, the Europeans, are, they just don't have that. Right. And and the, the greatest risk we ever have is where they try to dictate outcomes. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be in any type of a sporting event or for little children doing spelling bee competition, there's going to be losers. Sure. And and that's life. Well, what happens in, in these countries, well, they no one can lose. Mm-hmm. And not allowed to lose. Yeah. Not allowed to lose. And that's something that Margaret Thatcher came in and was so significant in turning around England. Sure. And, and a lot of the uh, schools that had uh, uh, football, football fields uh, for kids to play, well, they were sold off. They were all mm-hmm. going away because there wasn't right for kids to compete. They, no one yeah. wanted to feel bad if they lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that essence, that ethos is very much America. So that's why I feel very positive. I feel that... In Canada, I do feel it, um, and, and the greatest ever is America. But when you go to places like you're in Asia now, you, you get the essence of that, uh, and, that, that spirit. And yet, Frank, there is a danger that that sort of idea of, of socialism or protecting everybody from the downside, from risk, 
is also something that we have to be careful of in the United States, too. You recently wrote uh, a little article I have in front of me, uh, a new penalty for playing by the rules. You talk about uh, President Barack Obama's budget proposal. He wants to limit an individual's total balance in tax-favored retirement accounts to $3 million uh, for someone retiring in 2013. And we see, of course, what's happened in Cyprus recently, and there have been some talks about the IMF and other world bodies and various countries coming together in agreement with if we have another major banking situation that uh, that all of our demand deposit accounts, the individual checking accounts of individuals, might be fair game. Uh, is this something you worry about in the United States, Frank? Potential well, for I that think, happening uh, here? Yeah, I, I think that's such a pushback. I just think it's un-American. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at the different political parties, when you go to extreme Republicans or extreme uh, Democrats, mm-hmm. it's all about trying to control society. Yeah, the idea of a libertarian mindset—that's that's unacceptable. Uh-huh. And and so you see, they actually bump up quite closely to each other. Uh, President Clinton, who I know well, is a conservative Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, and a conservative Democrat is is always financially aware that you can't tax success uh, from everywhere. You can't have a sporting event this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you do have a, President Obama is is much more of a socialist. Um, a Democrat, and that's what he is. Right. So I, I think that uh, creating awareness of it, that the biggest champions that I have for, you know, when I think of Americans, that uh, do three things. They pay taxes, they save, and they invest. That holy trinity of capital formation is so critical. And uh, to try to penalize the person that's doing those three things uh, is just faulty thought process. And I think there'll be enough of a pushback uh, in create that awareness for it. And that's what makes us a great democracy. Yeah. Uh, there's a spread between the bid and the ask, and there'll be a debate and discussion. And I think you bringing it up like this and myself writing about it, mm-hmm. uh, it's just flawed thinking. Um, yes. But we've had you know, some some hardcore Republicans that get in, caught up with trying to control every aspect of your life. Exactly. And and so uh, I think uh, you know, Jan, much more aligned with yourself as being trying that middle ground, and, and, and it appears to be that you're a libertarian when you're in the middle ground. Absolutely, I, I agree with you completely uh, on that, Frank. And I think that's one of the reasons, probably, that uh, that Ron Paul uh, was sort of liked both from both from both ends of the political spectrum on some scores and and not on others. But you talk about saving as one of the three uh, stools here, uh, legs of the three-legged stool. Uh, saving, Frank, is under attack right now, I would argue, with zero interest rates. And uh, it was uh, David Stockman that said here in New York City at a, at a conference I attended, he says that after Bernanke announced his uh, quantitative easing infinite, that we are on the verge of, or that Bernanke is on the verge of destroying capitalism from the inside out. Essentially, he said, because, uh, you know, you're taking savings away, capital away from savers. He, he or someone else pointed out that 55, I think it was 80% of America's savings, and then it's not corporate, but individual savings, is in the hands of people that are 55 years of age and older. And those people are now being forced to eat their seed capital, their savings, if you will, because they're getting zero on interest, or they're having to go out late in their life and take extraordinary risks in the markets <clears throat> to try to get a yield. What is your your sense of, of uh, what might be happening to savers in America given current Federal Reserve uh, interest rate policies? I think that um, programs like yourself can help create this awareness and this shift that money goes where it's respected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're seeing the market hit all-time highs. 
I published a piece a couple of months ago saying, uh, had Daffy Duck and said, stop. <laughs> Why? Because in the past four years, the stock market, gold is up 90%. The stock market is up at year end uh, 70%. And gold stocks are up 50%. And uh, he is, stop being so negative. Take a look. That there's, there's tremendous opportunities. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeing with the stock market, and there's a couple of factors that are driving that, but this artificial low manipulated interest rate scenario where the 10-year government note is below the, the rate of inflation, and the five-year is, is like one-third of the inflationary rate. Mm-hmm. Well, you buy dividend-paying stocks. Mm-hmm. You, you, you go to the store, like Peter Lynch used to talk about, companies that you buy your products for all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your telecom company, uh, you have to use that. Your utility companies, you go to Procter & Gamble. Uh, like recently now, Heinz has been in a takeover. Well, you just these companies that you're buying the products every time you go shopping to eat, turn on the electricity. That they're that if you take a look at their numbers, they've been increasing their dividend every year. We looked at 1,500 S&P 500 companies, and we have 500 in the past five years increased their dividend every year. Hmm. So, Frank, let so, me. Uh, so, coming back to the stock process, Jay, yeah. is, is that that saver is has got to alter that risk profile and say, you know what, the bonds aren't worthwhile. I've got to go and buy companies where I'm eating their food every day, and that's what you're seeing this shift. Okay, but what happens, Frank, if for some reason interest rates start to rise? And uh, well, first of all, let me ask you: Do you see that as a danger anytime soon? That interest rates no. start to rise? Okay, I so then I you're not. See. So then you're presumably not so so fearful of of a plunging stock market, a declining stock market, and and uh, the the risks that's inherent in taking on those. I know in talking to Rick Rule in this show recently, I asked, "What about you know some of the the pipeline companies that that plow all their the, all their income, ninety percent of their income, back to?" people in the form of, uh, of dividends and Rick's view was that you know those were pretty fully priced at this point in time but they sure do look good Frank you know with night nice eight nine ten percent dividends in some cases yeah so when you get that high yield you're right they look really attractive but there is a risk sure and so so you have to have that discipline that you don't want to buy the highest dividend paying stocks you want to be looking at those companies that have the lowest uh, earnings payout with the highest yield Frank, let me ask you, this might be a good time then to ask you, are, you have a, a, quite a few funds under the U.S. Global umbrella. Are there any that sort of capitalize on these kinds of, uh, on these kinds yes. of returns? I would say my All-American Fund uh, looks at companies that are buying back their stock and paying a dividend. Okay. Now, Jay, you know, you know very well these public companies, and the juniors in particular, uh, would reward uh, with stock options. Mm-hmm. And that was a big issue in the big cap stocks here. Mm-hmm. And you were seeing something that's really interesting because of, of the sort of the punitive uh, aspects of, dividend, of, of sorry, options, and that is as soon as you exercise your option, if you don't sell your stock right away, then you have a big capital gain. You have the liability. Mm-hmm. If the stock went down, you could be bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So now people get stock options and they sell. Well, it's all changing, mm-hmm. and we're now seeing that, that's, that the boards of directors are issuing stock for over five years, and then mm-hmm. if you leave the company early, you lose the full Let's say I'm going to give you 100,000 shares over five years. You get 20,000 invested each year. And, uh, but you, if you leave after two years, you lose the remaining 30, the, the mm-hmm. remaining what, uh, see, 60,000 shares. Mm-hmm. If I talk too quickly here, but the point is, is that, is that you, you have this economic value that could be worth a million dollars or five million dollars to you mm-hmm. if you stay and you perform. So guess what those companies are doing? Mm. They are buying back their stock and increasing the dividend. Why? Yeah. 
because they get the benefit. They yeah. they get the whole dividend of all the shares, even though they're not they're not vested. Mm-hmm. And if they're shrinking their market cap, the stocks are going up. And that's one of the big complaints I've had with Newmont mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a gold stock. Mm-hmm. You know, they spent $17 billion in 10 years. Wow. $17 billion, and they've taken the production from $8 million to $5 million. Uh, that's now, sad. what would have happened if they bought back $5 billion of their stock and increased the dividend by $5 billion? Then the stock price would be three times the price on, on any other model. We, we'd, we've we done this type of is work. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. so the the idea of growth for the sake of growth has been terrible disappointment for gold investors. Yes. And now I give you a case study for this is IBM. Mm-hmm. IBM's revenue for ten years is flat, but IBM has been buying back the stock at one percent of every quarter. Mm-hmm. But they basically shrunk the stock that their earnings per share, their revenue per share is up a hundred percent. So the stock's doubled. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And, wow. and so this is this is what you're seeing. Investors are saying, okay, where can I go? And this idea of, of MLPs being so successful mm-hmm. because a lot of MLPs have an embedded six percent increase each year. Right. And so investors are looking at this as a, as a better alternative. And what investors should be looking at is saying, well, what will I make on a five-year government note or a five-year bank CD, which is guaranteed? Versus what can I get with a diversified portfolio of high dividend paying stocks that are right. growing? So right. those stocks make, that's where money's flowing. And I think it's going to continue. Now, we're getting a short-term correction. Those just get cheaper and more attractive. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, uh, well, you, you have so many funds, Frank. And I think for the sake of a lot of our listeners, some of our listeners, I think most people probably at least know about U.S. Global, but maybe aren't familiar with all the different funds. You're best known for emerging markets, for gold, and, and let's say for, uh, for natural Natural resources. So your uh, gold and well, let's see. It's probably which fund is emerging. Well, you have the emerging markets fund, right? The global emerging markets fund. Correct. Is that brick countries and primarily? Or? Yeah, it's no. It's it's all these small cap value special. It's lovely companies. Like mm-hmm. just think of all the small cap. You've got the resource companies where they're growing twenty percent of their revenue a year, mm-hmm. and their earnings twenty percent, and the dividend yields are six percent. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and management usually owns a big piece of, the, of these companies. And the tax, let's see, the corporate tax rates in many of these other merchant countries is a lot less than here. Mm-hmm. So there's a benefit of paying out the dividends so wealthy families have their income come as dividends because the dividends or capital gains are tax-free. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So you see a bigger payout. So for us, it's, we participate in that growth. Sure. Um, your, so your global resource fund, uh, PSPFX, I know is a symbol because I've mm-hmm. had some of that. Uh, what's in that, Frank? Is that is that a, a mixture of commodity producers like uh, it's, it's energy? It's actively and, managed, yeah. and it has food, as agriculture. You know, it has lumber. Well, we've got a, a warehouser. We've had a big score here in lumber for the past year. Uh-huh. Uh so It has MLPs. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think 10% of the portfolio is MLPs. Uh-huh. So it has a nice attractive yield to it. I think the yield is probably over 200 basis points is the, mm. is the, uh, the yield on the fund sure. of flow coming in. Uh, uh-huh. So and it has 10% exposure to gold. Uh-huh. Uh, and when we look at the gold stocks, it's got to be uh, stocks that have are more attractive on a growth profile. And many of these stocks that we own are paying dividends. Okay, you. Uh, speaking of gold, you have a couple of gold funds. I believe the Gold and Precious Metals Fund, and then you have the World Precious Metals Fund. What's mm-hmm. the difference between the two? World Precious Precious Metals goes into the speculative end, uh, the juniors, uh-huh. uh, where they're exploring, etc. But I, I think that 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 
that idea of exploring uh, is going to be very, very challenged for the next year. Yes, it Maybe will. 18 months. It has and, been extremely uh, challenged. Uh, so that fund has underperformed gold shares. And mm-hmm. but some of the things, we, how we shifted with that is that we own uh, silver notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a call on silver at $15, and we're making like 8% returns uh, mm-hmm. on our silver notes. Mm-hmm. And um, the new one they did was a gold note, and it pays uh, 10% a year, paid monthly. It's like 80 basis points a month. You can't so, make that anywhere. So are those, uh, is that uh, like gold loans or silver loans that have been made to developing companies or what, what are yes. those? Mm-hmm. We're, we're companies are in production. They uh-huh. have to A, be in production and they want to take the production from 100,000 ounces to 150,000 ounces. And, and if, so they, if, if they go to a royalty company, the royalty company like Franco Nevada, which mm-hmm. we own, which we just love management and Royal Gold, they ask for a royalty on all the reserves. Mm-hmm. When they do a gold loan through Standard Bank or they do a note with us, then they just have to escrow those ounces away to protect our investors. I see. I see. So they don't have to give up as much. But for us, we get gold and silver at a discount. And because they have existing production, we get paid now while they build up the ex- expansion. I see. Do you, uh, one of the companies that I cover and have been following for some time, uh, since it's actually since it went public was Sandstorm. Is, do you, do you know about Sands? I'm sure you know about it. Yes, it's a are great you, company. Are you invested in them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Frank, speaking of gold, what... what you know how it showed up for us, Jay, like in one of the stocks, is that we like to look at retained earnings. Mm-hmm. We start seeing, as you know, you have income statement to balance sheet, mm-hmm. and if there's a surplus from your income statement after taxes, it shows up in your balance sheet, mm-hmm. then it'll show up in retained earnings. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of the few royalty companies that was about this sort of all the junior resource companies that was having expanding retained earnings. Mm-hmm. And the correlation of that stock price to retained earnings was huge. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly looks like they should be growing very dramatically uh, as years go as the years go on. And, of course, they, this seems to be the market's willing to pay uh, more multiples, a higher multiple for a company like that, so Silver Wheaton being the, uh, you know, the, the, the company that the, this management came from. Um, let me ask you, Frank, so what what's your take on gold now? Why in the world... Cyprus. A lot of people thought Cyprus would would trigger a gold, you know, a gold rally, but in fact, it did very little of that. We've had a, you know, a huge exponential rise in Bitcoin for whatever reason. It seems people went to Bitcoin instead of gold. The people from Cyprus. In fact, we've had Jeff Berwick on this show, and he's been on a number of the major media recently talking about Bitcoin. It seems kind of silly to an old guy like me, uh, Bitcoin. Uh, and I'd like to get your take on, on Bitcoin if you if you have an opinion on it. But but before that, what about gold and why did gold not uh, rally on the Cyprus news? Because I mean, it seems to me people ought to be scared to death of having their money taken away from directly by government. Might want to go out and, and convert it into something that's real they can put in you know in, in keep in their own retentions and uh, retain their wealth. What, what's your take on gold and why is it performing? Why did it not respond to Cyprus? That's one question. And secondly. What has caused gold to get hammered so hard uh, in the last week or so? Well, it's complex, and I really don't have all the all the factors put together. But one of the things that um, come out uh, when we look at the world of gold is is the two demand factors. Uh, one is the fear trade, mm-hmm. and the other one is the love trade. And the factors that drive the fear trade are negative real interest rates are so important, and uh, monetizing of debt. So that usually makes gold rise in that country's currency. On the love trade, it's a cultural affinity, and it is GDP per capita. 
Mm-hmm. The rising GDP per capita for the past 12 years out of Chindia and the Middle East mm-hmm. is like 95% correlated to the direction of gold. Mm. So you have two demands that are with gold. And what we saw this past quarter was, hmm, the GDP of China didn't come in at 8%. It was at 7.6. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the GDP of income uh, slowed down, and mm-hmm. that is that to me is more important of the love trade that impacted. And then you had this tax that was imposed in India, uh, and the GDP of India wasn't as robust as was expected, and you had the other six percent tax imposed upon gold jewelry. So those two factors, China and India, which is basically the bulk of gold jewelry demand, you I really I understand this correction being tied to that. Mm-hmm. Now the fear trade. I think that um, people immediately took with Cyprus to, to get away with that, with the, what the EU wants to do in the IMF. And uh, the conspiracy thinkers believe that, that the IMF and, and the EU uh, did everything to sell gold and knock it down to show that they're still in control mm-hmm. because of the psycho- psychology of it. But I think the other factor, you know, I, don't, I can't really um, advocate that, uh, that that's a factor, but there's a process of believing that if they can roll over, if Japan, America, and Europe can roll over $8 trillion last year below the inflationary rates, mm-hmm. and they can manipulate the long end of the market in the short term, then gold is a non-event in manipulating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, and one of the big factors is that is the G20 meetings. They're not about trade. And you get all these radical unions that are sponsored. These kids that go out and throw, uh, you know, immense destruction to property and protest, etc. Um, it's not about losing jobs. It's, it's all about currency uh, manipulation and taxes. Mm-hmm. That's what they meet for. Yeah. So as soon as Japan unraveled their currency, immediately there's a G20 meeting, and the G7 uh, countries had a meeting right away yeah <laughs> and you can see from that meeting since that date gold started really getting pounded yeah interesting well you so know i think yeah, it, i think there's something that goes with that i think there's something to do with the love trade which i commented on yeah but these things happen um and, and, and let's go back and put it in context and i like to go back and look at history and what's the mathematical probability well people that uh, in the 70s the bull market gold declined accumulated 44 mm-hmm. percent between february of 75 in August of 76. Correct. Before it went to 850. Right, yes. So that would mean taking gold down to 1,050. That would be a 44% decline. Yeah. And right now what we're experiencing is is just under a 30% decline right. uh, in the price of gold. And uh, this was much more uh, fast and quick, etc. But I, I think that these markets, is, is, this is what takes place. What investors, if they really believe that the gold's the worst place to be, then you would have to see the U.S. government paying 200 basis points above the CPI number. That means your money market funds would be 4%. Mm-hmm. That means your bonds, et cetera, would be 6% for all those investors that are complaining they can't get a high enough yield, rightfully so, mm-hmm. that it's hurting them, the retired people, et cetera. That's where it would take to make that, that audience. But what would that do to job creation? Mm-hmm. What would yeah. that do to the, the fragility of economic development? And I think until we get some political leadership that says we're going to streamline regulations, and we're just like President Clinton did, mm-hmm. and Margaret Thatcher did, and Ronald Reagan. Uh, mm-hmm. well, something that was very common amongst all of them was this commitment to streamlining, streamlining regulations in d- d- various uh, aspects of the economy. We've not seen that yet. And when we do, then it all takes off. 
Well, we had uh, we certainly had a deregulation in the banking industry. We took away uh, Glass-Steagall, and uh, Alan Greenspan was all in favor of that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is, was that a mistake? You know, I think well, the biggest mistake, if you look at that, was, was, wasn't was the greed of bankers. It was uh, allowing them to be able to do what they did, and that is leverage. Mm-hmm. If you look back in, in, in all the compelling research on cycles of boom and bust, uh, going back from the tulip bubble, etc., it is always it's a mismanagement of leverage, mm-hmm. and today leverage is controlled by governments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is the government that says that brokers you can leverage your balance sheet four to one. Mm-hmm. Well, in two thousand and three, they allowed brokers to leverage thirty to one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that meant a three percent movement in their book, and they're wiped out. Yeah, uh, and and so then all the banks got in the brokers' business, and one of their key assets during lots of business was the broker who was leveraged thirty to one. Yeah. And um, and and when they came up with FASB one five seven, which is a mark to market rule, basically that started unraveling all of this. And you, you can see it; it's so evident when it came out, became a law in uh, in two thousand and eight. Uh, everything collapsed. Two thousand and nine, in March of two thousand and nine, they reversed it. But mm-hmm. the interpretation of mark to market and mm-hmm. the market started to take off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that um, a lot of this has to do with with uh, you know, uh, the law of unexpected consequences, good intentions in some of these rules. Yeah. But going back over thousands of years, the, the financially, corporations can't leverage themselves more than certain ratios regarding economic activity. Banks can't. And neither can governments, and neither can individuals. But we were, were allowing citizens to buy houses, two and three of them, at 100 to 1 leverage. And who was putting the financing with the brokers who were leveraged 30 to 1. And the banks were leveraged 12 to 1. Well, that just sets it up for a domino cascading down. But wasn't there and, a sense? Wasn't there a sense, Frank? Though that you know the bankers were at least the big guys knew they were too big to fail. They could get away with this, and mm-hmm. and of course they they there was all these originations of mortgages. I don't and so I don't think they thought that at the time. No, I thought they said you know they basically you know when you had little kids and you told them that you no know, you have to turn your lights up and go to bed right that's <laughs> you have to you have to go to bed. And you have to go to bed at 7 o'clock. And yeah. you brush your teeth, you're going to bed. That's what mm-hmm. you're doing. And so the compliance on, on and your children, well, when it comes to adults, is a compliance is necessary on leverage. And and there's just too much repeated history that's too well documented by Reinhardt uh, and other people, that uh, other great the thought leaders that I believe that done, done a fantastic job of, of, of looking at what is the signal and what is the pattern. And what we have in a modern-day environment is governments have the ability to regulate leverage. Well, so what would regulate it if government wasn't there, Frank? The the, the marketplace would leverage it because if you knew if you took if you, you're a you'd banker, have bus, you'd have you, boom bus. You're right. You'd so have you, boom bus. There's no doubt you'd have them because people would uh, believe in the face of optimism and, and keep leveraging and leveraging, right, and right. then there'd be a crash and you'd have it coming down. So right. I think I think having referees coming back to a simple metaphor, Jay. We need referees that are well-trained, that want to see a good game. They're not trying to control who wins. Right. They want a good sporting event. Right. And, and I think one of the, the criticisms I've had is you can't take a referee who's a great referee in the NBA and tell him he's going to do the NHL. Mm-hmm. He can't mm-hmm. skate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it, so you it's, can't take someone from doing brokers and then all of a sudden they're doing asset managers and then they're doing insurance companies and then they're doing uh, banks. So, like you need, you need uh, they should all be separate. 
They should have truly skilled referee training for, from a compliance point of view. And their job is to make sure that there's a, 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 a fair and reasonable sporting event. Well, it's certainly uh, an even playing field. And, and President Clinton used to talk about working hard and playing by the rules. Those, those people shouldn't be pun- penalized. Uh, but it seems as though um, the current administration is going against that to a great extent, uh, in my view anyway. And it certainly, it seems to me though, as I go back again, uh, to what happened up to, uh, you know, to the, to the crash in 2008, 2009, there was certainly a lot of resistance on the part of, um, of, of bankers to, uh, to the to the regulations that were in place, I know uh, uh, Sheila Bear and others uh, believe that it was a mistake to uh, to do away with it. But in any event, I, I get what you're saying, Frank. I hear what you're saying. I think then what is, we're just about out of time now. What would you say uh, to investors? I, I, I what how how should investors approach this this period of time? I mean, I don't think you believe we're out of the woods yet uh, since uh, uh, Lehman Brothers. There's still a lot of unresolved issues, aren't there? Well, there's lots of issues like that. And what's important for investors is that you have a 5% uh, exposure to a billion. And what I thought was really interesting is that the data is coming out now with this big correction in gold. Mm-hmm. Gold coin sales are through the roof. Yeah, the physical offtake. Coins. Yeah. The civil- Huge offtake. Exactly. So, so you're seeing that people are leaving the GLD are worried what took place in Cyprus. Maybe uh, they took place in the 30s or confiscate your GLD assets. So you're seeing being sold over here, but on the other hand, they're going over and they're buying gold coins. And, and there's also articles where we're coming from some of my uh, Chinese um, uh, money managers, and they're commenting that customers are searching stores for bargain gold prices. So you're seeing this out of India, and I think this huge correction will trigger more than 6% that you'll get a demand picking up uh, for that sort of uh, gold jewelry uh, is going to come back in. But investors look at gold like they do for house insurance and car insurance. You want to make sure it's there. Uh, you don't want to have an accident and find out you don't have insurance. And there's going to be this volatility, and the gold will have spectacular moves, and gold basically make you feel terrible like it's done the past month. This is normal what takes place in markets, but you have this waiting, and you'll capture the opportunities. And be diversified into dividend-paying stocks. I think that that's very, very important. Uh, good, good stock pickers that uh, know how to pick small-cap value and big-cap stocks. And you can buy growth stocks. Companies that are growing their uh, twice the GDP and they're increasing their dividend 10% a year, um, those stocks, and they're buying back their stock. Mm-hmm. Those companies will continue to do well, especially where they're staples and consumers products uh, that, that we all need. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, certainly diversification, Frank, is available through the U.S. Global Investors uh, Group of Funds. And I might tell our listeners that the website is usfunds.com, usfunds.com. And there's a lot of interesting things on your website, too, Frank. I see that the Thank currency you. quiz is up there. Uh, I haven't taken it yet, but, but what's that all about? Well, it's a way to try to stimulate uh, activity because it's a classic. You know, it's America, Jay. Uh-huh. It's competition. <laughs> I've got a spelling bee, and uh, we've had other quiz games on, on flags to the country and how fast uh-huh. you could capture it. Uh, and, and was a percentage of how many, how quick it was, uh, two factors. What was the quantity and what was the speed? Mm-hmm. Well, we get lots of positive responses for that and, and we try to do that to stimulate the sort of curiosity. And there's a movement now that, because especially George Soros who sold his gold to go short the yen, uh, he paid the currency trade, that you're seeing more and more people all of a sudden becoming curious about currencies. And, 
So we said, well, let's see if we can stimulate this sort of natural, innovative, competitive American spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly it is a very fun website. There's lots of great, uh, lots of great articles that are there as well. Things that you've written, Frank, and uh, insights and research in the news and Frank Talk. I guess that's a kind of a clever play on on your name, a Frank Talk. You are. Uh, certainly a frank talker, no no doubt about that. Thank you very much, Frank, for being with us. And uh, I would very much encourage our listeners to go to usfunds.com, check out Frank's work, his ideas, and, and the fund. You have a lot of different things to choose from under the uh, U.S. Global uh, Funds and umbrella. Thank you very much, Frank, for being with us. Well, thank you, Jay. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Chen Lin, who will pay us a visit about um, uh, about where he's putting his money these days. Don't go away. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, finally, it's been a long time, uh, Chen Lin is back. And um, Chen, uh, well, he just came back from a trip uh, to Spain and Portugal. And uh, so welcome, Chen. Really good to have you back. Thank you, Jay. Now, Chen, we were talking at the uh, at the break. You were telling me that you uh, still hold the view that gold should probably... There should be some strength uh, this summer, perhaps in May or so. Just take a minute to explain why you're thinking that way. Well, there's a lot of demand, you know, physical demand, uh, especially in the East, in Asia, in China. I, I saw a lot of reports. There's uh, very, very strong demand, and uh, all these inventories sold out. They're working overtime, triple overtime, just to to get the gold, you know, out for for the consumer. So there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of buying there. Uh, so gold uh, could stabilize. I hope it stabilizes around here. So 
Uh, yeah, you know, well, right, right, that, right now, the, the, the issue mainly is the fund selling, okay, the forced selling from the fund redemption and fund cost, uh-huh. etc. Yeah, so you think that the, uh, the the hedge funds are being forced to sell, redemptions coming in, people don't want to own gold now because it doesn't seem like the right place to be, so it's sort of feeding on itself? Exactly. So, they, they, you know, this fund who, who has a lot of gold could suffer, you know, this quarter, and then I will watch for the redemption at the end of this quarter. Uh, you know, that that could be a sign. And there's, and, you know, I'd be meeting some fund manager, the fund were forced to close, so they have to sell everything. So all these things uh, may happen, may play out in the, uh, in the next couple of months. So I'm mm-hmm. telling my subscribers just to patient, just to wait, uh, you know, buy a little bit here and there, but I think the better buying opportunity could be in the summer or late summer. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to be somewhat consistent with Charles Nanner's view as well. Well, Chen, you know, even more beleaguered than the metals, and the gold shares, they haven't participated on the way up, and they seem to have gotten slammed even harder on the way down. You have several picks, and I'd like to, with the limited amount of time we have, I'd like to just ask you to comment on a couple of them. Uh, Orvana Minerals traded uh, ORV in Toronto. I saw it at 73 cents, 136 million shares. Outstanding. What do you like about that one? Well, the, the the company is trading less than uh, 100 million market cap. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, this year, even with current gold price, uh, they could you know cash flow about 80 million, 780 million mm-hmm. on the gold price where it is. Okay, uh, the the company has about 50, 60 million debt. So uh, so you can see, uh, uh, and the market is about you know cash flow about the market cap next year. Uh, they should do much better. Uh, I can see they continue ramping up their their mining Spain, which I've visited. So they could have a hundred million cash flow. So they're trading less than one ton cash flow. And their mines are only in Spain, or where do they have some Spain else, and elsewhere? Bolivia, mostly in major mines in Spain. They also have a smaller mine in Bolivia. Okay, and uh, so that's so that's just basically the the cost uh, to cash flow is very attractive from your view. Um, then that's why you like it. I see they earned about ten cents a share last year, perhaps something like that. Yeah, they they, they start making money. The company last private placement was two dollars. No, now it's seventy something cents. So you basically can buy it much lower than the private place placement people who bought at, at two dollars. Yeah, well, it just shows how how hard these stocks have been hit. Pedicilia is another favorite favorite of yours. At least it was the last time we spoke. You still like that one, and if so, why? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the company is similar situation. You look at the market cap seventy million, around that that range, and it's producing about eighty thousand ounce gold and a hundred thousand ounce gold next year. Uh, the cash cost about five hundred six hundred. Low cost producer. Uh, mm-hmm. They have some debt. I, I think the last time I checked, uh, maybe forty million, something like that. But you can see, uh, even at the current gold price, they can ma- manage the, the the debt very well. Uh, they just received, uh, I think, fifteen million from Inmat. Okay, mm-hmm. because the Inmat want their concession want, to build their trading dam. Uh, that's for ten year lease. Of course, you know that going forward, they they will be continue paying them money for for building, you know, assets for their land. So that's one thing, and then they will also need the aggregate. The aggregate they need on the on the contract, they need 100 million aggregate from particular. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's more than its current market cap. So you see that you know all these stock job, but job is dropping so funny, dropping below. You know, you perceive wildly perceive the fair value of all the company. 
and it yeah. is still going down. So uh, what I'm saying to my subscriber is, look, you know, it's coming down. There could be some forced selling in the next few months, but uh, we, we, you know, we're gradually buying and then we're waiting for, for time. I think probably by summer, late summer will be a, a very good opportunity to buy them because usually that's the low of the gold. Uh, you know, we have a, a Indian holiday, Christmas season coming. So usually summer is the low of the seasonality wise, the low of the gold, and then the gold miner could also create a bottom. You know that could be oh. better. Well, it better would up. certainly seem seem to be a time for that, uh, Chen. What about I see Petakilia earned fifteen point eight million in the most recent quarter. That's the third quarter of the current fiscal year. Do you have any? Have they provided guidance in terms of what their earnings will be this year, uh, for the full year, and also for two thousand fourteen uh, next year, ending May? Uh, they, 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 I think the guidance is most on gold production, 80 to 90,000 ounces, at cost probably 500 to 600. I mean, I don't know the detail, but they are around that range. But you mm-hmm. basically, you can put in whatever your gold price in, and then you can see their earning power. But of course, those are, you know, the, uh, the cash costs. Okay, there's also other, you have to deduct all the drilling, all the capital, of course. and then GNA on top of that. But still, it's a very, very strong cash flow. So they have income coming in from their sale of aggregate in Panama. They mm-hmm. have income coming in, of course, the Panama, the Panamanian gold mine is what they're producing from, but they do also have a mine in port, in Spain, I guess, that you just went to visit, right? Right. They're starting a, a new mine in Spain. It's very high grade gold and copper. Uh, they plan actually to ship, originally ship the high grade ore to Panama to process at the beginning, and then they build a, a plant in, in Spain. When when are they planning to start that, Chen? Start the, the uh, later, shipments. Later later this year. Later this year, they need to build a run and, and uh-huh. then, you know, get get the high grade ore out. So I I I, I believe it's later this year. But again, all this depends on you know the the market condition and then how you know how do they plan those. Right. Well, they certainly do have. They have other projects in in Spain and Portugal as well. I know this looks like a growth story to me, and with lots of cash flow and some debt, it, it really is an interesting story. Selling at a very low multiple to cash flow. Uh, Oceana has been a real long time favorite of yours. Uh, they're starting their production now, I think, in the Philippines, right? And how is that going? Yeah, exactly. They they starting the, the mine in Philippines. Uh, the basically the mine, the copper will cover the cost of the the mine. Okay, they got gold basically for free. Uh, they I think they started for seventy five thousand ounces but gradually increased. Uh, the you know it's a great mine. I mean that it, it will generate a lot of cash flow and then bring down the whole uh cost of gold to about uh, six hundred I think that for the company total cost. Their overall cost about six hundred and how many ounces more or less do they project to produce going forward, Chen? Yeah, over three hundred thousand. But you know, wow. you can calculate. You know those, and then you remember those are um, uh, the the the, uh, the the we are. This is assuming in their uh, New Zealand, and the cash cost is uh, close to a thousand. But yes. in 2008, 2009, we remember that the cash cost was three hundred, right? So, yes. so it, it's very different because over there. Uh, the mining uh, costs very high because the currency is very high. Australian has a mining boom. They are, they they actually forced to pay very high salary, and, yeah. and the energy cost is high. So, well, it's you know, a, but it's overall a great story, Chen. We are out of time, unfortunately. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your insights with our listeners. It's greatly appreciated. 
I'm sure they'll, uh, they, uh, our listeners are really pleased to hear from you again. Folks, go to uh, miningstocks.com to put your name on the list if you're interested in subscribing to Chen Lin. As I explained earlier today, we will not be taking new subscriptions until the next quarter, but it uh, might be very much worth your time going to miningstocks.com, putting your name on the list for Chen Lin. Thank you very much, Chen, for being with us. Hope to talk to you in the not-too-distant future. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts about today's show and next week's guest. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Paramount Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico, backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet. An experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and I am happy to say that I think we have made some progress in terms of turning to good times today. I thought uh, the discussion we had with Alexis Ringwald was uh, was very uplifting. Certainly, a young lady that's very accomplished, has had a lot of success in her early life, uh, is extremely enthusiastic about the ability of LearnUp to uh, help companies uh, find good labor, to help people that looking for jobs uh, to find a uh, a definite way to prepare themselves so that they're not rejected so that they can take those entry level jobs and start building their lives accordingly of course certainly one of the most uh, demoralizing thing i i should think would be not to be able to get a job when you want to work uh, so uh, uh, much applause to alexis for her for her wonderful work and also frank holmes today 
uh, Frank, uh, always more of an uplifting person, a person that doesn't, uh, sort of, that does sort of see the, uh, the bright, um, the potential going forward in many ways and, and does have a lot of different ideas of investing. I may not agree with Frank completely on every issue. I, I think, you know, his, his issue about, uh, American ingenuity and, um, uh, and creativeness is certainly true, but where does that come from? And one of my big concerns uh, is that we are destroying a lot of the the basic foundation that made America the ingenious country that it has been. But nonetheless, uh, Frank is providing some ideas about where to go to uh, keep your head above water, if not uh, make some progress in your investment uh, in your investment portfolios going forward. And we want to thank Frank for being with us as well. Uh, certainly, Chen Lin, really great to have him back again for a change. Haven't heard from Chen in some time, uh, but his ideas about uh, probably we're, we're near a bottom in gold or could be near a bottom in gold. Uh, very, uh, Chen is very much attuned to what's going on in China, knows that if gold prices stay anywhere near where they are now, the demand for China will get even stronger. It has been phenomenally strong. The physical markets have been extremely strong. The gold share markets are down really big. Uh, and so that tells me that at some point in time here, uh, we're going to make a lot of money in the gold mining shares. It doesn't feel like it right now. It never feels like it at the bottom. Uh, David Gerwitz uh, was with us, and Charles Nanner is, would seem to be suggesting uh, something similar to that as well, in, uh, in that we are very near, according to uh, uh, David Gerwitz and Charles Nanner, very close to a bottom in gold. In fact, we may uh, get a bottom signal from... Uh, Charles Nanner this week yet. Uh, and so we'll look uh, forward to that and, of course, pass that on to you next week. I would uh, uh, urge you to check out uh, Charles Nanner. Uh, just uh, Google him and look it up and uh, and consider. Uh, as David Gerwitz said, if you send them an email uh, and tell them that you heard about them on my show, they will send you a couple of uh, a couple of weeks of uh, of service, and it is really interesting. I've started to look very carefully. It's very it doesn't take long to read and and to look into the um, the recommendations that Charles Nanner is making. And uh, I've actually made a little money already uh, on one trade that I made uh, shorting the oil uh, the oil markets. So uh, it really, I think there's a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, it's been a tough year and a half for us, but I think we're getting ready for some brighter days ahead, and uh, I think the people of today's show really helped to see that. Next week, our special guest will be Todd Wood. Uh, he's a finance expert and author of Currency, uh, a really interesting book in terms of, uh, well, it's it's actually it's a, a story, uh, economic thriller, uh, Currency, was published in 2011, uh, and uh, it is really very, very interesting, I think, in terms of providing some insights into what is causing the malaise that we have now in the banking industry uh, in, in the financial markets. So I think uh, we're going to really enjoy uh, and the insights of Todd Wood next week uh, on our show. That's all the time we do have today uh, for this show. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.